This is the Troll Patrol. Live with Justin Freakin'. Welcome to the Troll Patrol. Live. It's a freaking Thursday. Now, I do want to start off tonight by saying I am back on Facebook as of today. I had, I had been serving a seven-day ban. You may say, well, Justin, I thought, I thought you lost your Facebook completely. Yes, I lost me. My Justin Mullins account. The me that I had been since, like, you know, the end of the 2000s. I don't have that account anymore. I have other Facebook accounts. I had been serving a ban. I've been a really good boy. It was worth it, though. And uh, I've had a lot of people in my DMs. I've had a lot of trolls come after me today because, you know, I've been on the loose. Hogan the Bear. Hopefully, that will translate into tonight's show. And perhaps somebody will give us a call on the uh, Troll Patrol hotline, 917-830-4359. We'll hop in the Discord with me because that's that's what everybody really wants. Want to see me argue with Ryan. I'm aware of it. I'm just doing a show where I sit here and read the news like a like a like a fly trap trying to catch some right-wing trolls that want to argue with me once we get the show big enough it's just going to be all right-wing trolls coming at me and that's, that's when the fun is going to ensue so if if that is the future that you as a liberal want you should be sure to subscribe, like, and most importantly, share my shit out with people who would enjoy my content, but specifically with people who will hate watch me. That's, that's the demographic I'm really going for. Because if I get enough people hate watching me, they share it with their buddies in groups and shit. Then it will break the YouTube algorithms. Also, the DTube, the Metacalf, the fucking... I'm on every different video platform you can possibly be on. I get a hell of a lot of views on BitChute, amazingly enough. No clue. You can also text message voicemail 917-830-4359 anytime we're not streaming presently. Someone left a message for me that I didn't see until uh, today of Biden is bad, bad in all caps. Thank you to the person who sent in the message. I appreciate it. Please leave voicemails. Uh, I I always enjoy voicemails. I've got a couple. Hey, fuck you for not picking up my call, motherfucker. Yeah, see that that was just a I'm done, but I'm messaging you at the same time. 
a random voicemail from a troll on the troll patrol. I want more of it. I want to be able to go through calls and comments. We got news to talk about. Tonight we're going to get into both critical race theory and we are coming up on the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa race riots. The two perfectly go together. The stories just they, the right wing outrage about CRT. And then the upcoming Tulsa race massacre. It just illustrates the point so wonderfully. Plus, Dr. Fauci has said we are in a race to get to 70% vaccination by July 4th in order to avoid a false surge. We're going to talk about the radio host that quit because he took some feedback about making fun of Demi Movado. Demi Lovato. I don't know how I feel about Demi Lovato. I know she's been having a lot of trouble. I don't think I've actually listened to her music. By the way, I listened to some JoJo Siwa after we did the story about renaming the Ronald Reagan International Airport. Now, I listened to two of her biggest songs, at least in the last few years. Still in favor of renaming the airport after JoJo Siwa, but that is totally not my kind of music. However, I will say that the girl has talent. Hannah Montana didn't make music I like. However, Miley Cyrus did an album with The Flaming Lips, and it was fantastic. So, who knows what time will die. I mean, she has fucking talent. You can tell that. Still way better than Ronald Reagan. Didn't fun at death squads in South America. Didn't exacerbate the AIDS crisis. Somebody somebody got really upset about that video on YouTube. You guys should totally check it out. Be able to poke the bear on that dude. Fun. All right, so starting off tonight... I guess breaking news in the last hour or so. Uh, these were remarks from President Biden within the last hour, hour and a half, maybe. This is regarding Israel, Folks, Palestine. Spoke with Prime Minister Netanyahu. Earlier today, I spoke with President Al Sisi of Egypt. Minister Prime Minister Netanyahu informed me that Israel has agreed to a mutual, unconditional ceasefire begin in less than two hours the egyptians have now informed us so we we are coming up on the actual the ceasefire in gaza i've also agreed in my conversation with president netanyahu i commended him for the decision to bring the current hostilities to a close within less than 11 days i also emphasize what i've said throughout this conflict the united states fully supports israel's right to defend itself against indiscriminate rocket attacks from hamas and other Gaza-based terrorist groups that have taken the lives of innocent civilians in Israel. The Prime Minister also shared with me his appreciation for the Iron Dome system. Negotiating, yeah, you're welcome for the Iron Dome system on my tax dollars. Notice 
That was a negotiation between the president of Egypt and Netanyahu. I the whole way he framed that, I'm I'm not liking it at all. Which are nations developed together and which has saved lives of countless Israeli citizens. There will be oh my oh my if you did I didn't play that video on on the stream, but if you have not seen the video where uh, one of the the AP reporters or uh, was it the owner of the building tones uh, is is begging the IDF for just 10 more minutes to be able to go in and get some of their equipment, their life's work. It is heart-wrenching. There's also another video going around of like this 10-year-old girl and she's just like looking at the destruction like, what am I supposed to do? I'm a 10-year-old girl. I shouldn't have this responsibility. And I, I swear that one broke me. I... This whole situation and America's role in it. And and what really is disheartening, I, on the one hand, I'm encouraged by the fact that this is a completely different tone than politicians in America took seven years ago. The last time tensions flared up. But it's still going to be another 10, 15 years before popular sentiment goes completely to the other side, to the progressive way of thinking. I assured him of my full support to replenish Israel's Iron Dome system to ensure its defenses and security in the future. Over the last 11 days, I spoke with the Prime Minister six times. I've also spoken with President Abbas of the Palestinian Authority more than once, and Part of our intense diplomatic... But Mahmoud Abbas? Like, he's still a thing? The Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, our national security advisor, and everyone... I didn't even even know that coalition was still a thing. Hamas is the governmental authority. We've held intensive, high-level discussions, hour by hour, literally. Egypt, the Palestinian Authority... And look, that that pisses me off. Like, it's basically the U.S. government is taking the position that Hamas is not a legitimate government. What if the rest of the world looks like fucking Trump is not legitimate? Well, Scrub Lord, a lot of that is built on our tax dollars. We send almost $4 billion to Israel every year. Israel couldn't exist without the U.S. and the U.S.'s defense. Once again, the Iron Dome. Paid for it by my tax dollar. I don't appreciate it. The name of avoiding the sort of prolonged conflict we've seen in previous years when the hostilities have broken out. I extend my sincere gratitude to President al-Sisi and the senior Egyptian officials who played such a critical Al-Sisi role is a brutal fucking dictator. I appreciate the contributions of other parties in the region who've been engaged in working toward the end of hostilities. These hostilities have resulted in the tragic deaths of so many. I, I don't understand. How is how is CC a fucking legitimate government and Hamas isn't? Israeli and Palestinian who have lost loved ones and my hope for a full recovery for the wounded. The United States committed to working with the United Nations and we remain committed to working with the United Nations and other international stakeholders to provide rapid humanitarian assistance and to marshal international support the people of Gaza and the Gazan re- re- reconstruction efforts. 
We will do this in full partnership with the Palestinian Authority. It, it feels like humanitarian assistance is code for arms deal. Military arsenal. I believe the Palestinians and Israelis equally deserve to live safely and securely and to enjoy equal measures of freedom, prosperity, and democracy. My administration. But it's it's the Israel like the onus is not on the Palestinian people. The Israeli government is who is in charge and oppressing the Palestinian people. So you spoke to Netanyahu like six times, you said. So what did you do about that situation? We know over the weekend they negotiated an arms deal. Bernie Sanders, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez introduced a resolution to halt U.S. arms sale to Israel. Senator Bernie Sanders will introduce a resolution on Thursday, did introduce a resolution. Blocking a plan, this was from Rolling Stone earlier today, blocking a planned $735 million sale of precision-guided weapons from the U.S. to Israel. That's not technically true. It's a kit that upgrades like dummy bombs into smart bombs. Democratic reps Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Mark Pocan, Rashida Tlaib introduced a similar measure in the House on Wednesday. According to a draft of the resolutions, first reported by the Washington Post, Sanders is looking to stop the planned sale of joint direct attack munitions and small diameter bombs as hostilities continue between the Israeli military and Hamas in and around Gaza. Congress has the power to vote on a resolution of disapproval opposing a weapon sale within 15 days and can block or modify the sale at any point until delivery. Sanders, who is the Senate Budget Committee Chairman, so he does have some stroke. Sanders released a statement on Thursday saying that the U.S. needs to take a hard look into whether weapon sales like these are simply fueling the conflict and profiting off of fueling the conflict. It's what the U.S. does best. Sanders continued, at a moment when U.S.-made bombs are devastating Gaza and killing women and children, we cannot simply let another huge arms sale go through without even a congressional debate. I believe that the United States must help lead the way to a peaceful and prosperous future for both Israelis and Palestinians. We need to take a hard look whether the sale of these weapons is actually helping do that or whether it is simply fueling the conflict because Bernie is a badass. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who is the first woman of Palestinian descent to serve in Congress, also issued a statement saying, approving this sale now while failing to even try to use it as leverage for a ceasefire sends a clear message to the world. The U.S. is not interested in peace. Oh, I think the world already knows that. That was it. The congresswoman did not say that. 
U.S. is not interested in peace and does not care about the human rights and lives of Palestinians. That was the Congresswoman. Momentum is shifting towards a ceasefire. We just heard from Biden. It is taking effect, like, as we're talking right now. Wednesday, Biden publicly stated that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu should seek a significant de-escalation. I guess better late than never. Those stunning pictures that we saw out of Gaza today from the Daily Mail. A munition crashed into an apartment complex and didn't explode. I know, it's the Daily Mail. It's got a whole bunch of fucking ads. But that was the best place to see all these pictures. Scenes came as Israel unleashed another wave of airstrikes across Gaza Strip. Hamas fired more rockets as violent clashes continued. Though it didn't go off, they had to carefully remove it. From somebody's fucking bedroom. They're just standing there looking at it. That's how you create terrorists right there. Like shit. These completely peaceful people that have nothing to do with any of this conflict. Walk in and see a missile or bomb, whatever the fuck it is. Israeli missile after it landed unexploded into a house. Why wouldn't they want to take a... I said they removed it carefully, but there's motherfuckers like standing on top of it. Shit. <laughs> Do you think we're stupid? I'm going to pull a Rudy out we're on them. fools? Yes, yes, don't stand on top of it. <laughs> After the sun rose, residents surveyed the rubble from at least five family homes. There were also heavy airstrikes on a commercial thoroughfare in Gaza City. I believe we're now well over 300 people dead on the Palestinian side. I believe 65 children now. Uh, this story was from earlier today on in uh, NPR. We might get a more current count. The battle between Israel and Hamas is taking a deep toll on people in the Gaza Strip. Where families are being forced to live in a war zone. In separate interviews with NPR, two people, one in Gaza and one in Israel, who spoke about the violence, also discussed their desire to keep their children safe. So, the view from Gaza, which I don't like the framing of NPR here as a, as it's a false equivalency. Nowhere does it say the discrepancy between the number of people dead on the Palestinian side. And, and, and yeah, tones. Firefighters and doctors. Israel has targeted doctors. So the the woman from the no, I'm sorry, it's not a woman. It's a father of a young son. Says he is desperately he is desperate for safety and security. We just don't want to die under the rubble of our houses. Now, 
from the Israeli side, the view was, I can tell you that even though we're not people who are warmongers, we are definitely in favor of the ongoing campaign. The other side is, I just don't want to die in the rubble of my house. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to give the impression that we're warmongers. God damn. I'm, I'm totally not going to read into this piece by NPR, but I would hope that they do a better job than this of putting this in the proper context. Allow me to give you some context. Heart-wrenching video. Content warning, fuckers. Of a man who tries to distract his children... During the bombing. Concerned with their hair being messed up. Oh my God. By the way, he's dead now. Just so he's dead. So he's trying to distract his children from the war zone outside. Oh God. People want to tell me that's fucking justified. Last video of Ahmed Mansi with his kids before being martyred. It's, it's not two-sided.
Twitter user shared that both Manzi and his brother Yusuf were killed in an Israeli airstrike just two days after that video was posted. According to Human Rights Monitor, a pair of brothers with the same names were killed May 14th. Now, last night I brought up this this thing about tunnels. I couldn't find the story, and it, it, it felt like I was making it up, but I swear I didn't make it up. So this from the Daily Mail, which isn't that reputable. Israel's deadly deception, IDF tricked Hamas into believing a ground invasion was underway, then obliterated a tunnel network, knowing militants would be hiding underground, waiting to ambush tanks. So the Israel Defense Forces managed to trick Hamas into believing a ground invasion was underway last night. This was May 14th. So this would have been on May 13th, this last weekend. Soldiers and tanks with drones equipped with night vision lay in wait for survivors as they surfaced, hitting them with aerial and ground fire. Snipers and missile units were also waiting for them on the ground as the IDF said it had carried out a complex operation to destroy Hamas tunnels underneath Gaza City which the military refers to as the Metro. Netanyahu said, they attacked our capital, they fired rockets at our city. They're praying and will continue to pay dearly. Oh, they're paying and will continue to pay dearly for that. Fuck. It's not over yet. He said that last week. Thankfully, it looks to be over finally tonight. Now, shifting gears to climate change. The world's largest iceberg breaks off from Antarctica. The giant floating piece of ice close to 80 times the size of Manhattan broke off the western side of the Rhone ice shelf in Antarctica's Weddell Sea. I might have butchered both of those names. Iceberg is shaped like a giant ironing board measuring measuring around 170 kilometers in length, 25 kilometers in width. Slightly larger than the Spanish island of Majorca, which I'd never heard of, so not a good frame of reference. This this, uh, article coming to us from CNN World so you can see a picture of the iceberg breaking away from Antarctica. Been an ongoing problem because while the surface area of ice has expanded over the last few years, that's actually a signal that it's weaker ice not stronger ice over a long period of time. That's why we're seeing icebergs break off like this. Now, this is 
one of the cooler years we've experienced. Oh, I'm sorry. This is uh, this is a different story. That's the next story. New study finds climate disasters forced more people to flee their homes last year than war. The number of new displacements in 2020 amounted to 40 million, of which 30 million were displaced because of floods, storms, and wildfires. Asian and African countries suffer the most from climate change-based displacement. The year 2020 was hotter than 2019, putting an additional 5 million people out of their homes due to weather conditions creating disasters. Climate change is the leading cause of new internally displaced people rather than war three times over. What the IDMC is certain of is that there are twice as many people displaced than exiled as refugees, a rate that is the highest it has ever been. In low- and middle-income countries, an estimated 20 million IDPs were children under the age of 15 and senior citizens ages 65 and up, made up for 2.6 million. People are fleeing Afghanistan, India, Pakistan. Now, as I said, this year is the coolest on recent record, but that's a little deceptive. Monthly global service temperature anomalies, according to this graph. With a moderate La Nina event in the tropical Pacific Ocean, global temperatures in 2021 are running decidedly cooler when compared to recent years. The lack of a new warmest year record in 2021 could sap some of the sense of urgency among policymakers in the U.S. and abroad during a critical year for enacting stricter emission cuts to meet the Paris Agreement's targets. According to NASA, March was the coldest such month globally since 2014. April was also relatively cool, coming in as the seventh warmest month since 1979. Europe was hit especially hard by cold snaps during April, breaking records in England and causing an agricultural disaster in France. Even with the recent cold in Europe and the cooling influence of La Nina, the planet is still headed for a top 10 or even a top 5 warmest year finish. Climate scientist Deke Osfather says this is well in line with long-term, with the long-term warming trend. With human-caused global warming, it's the long-term trends that matter, not single years. Scientists know climate change is happening against a backdrop of natural climate variability. There will always be winters and summers, La Ninas and El Ninos. 
NASA climate scientist Kate Marvel tells Axios. Right, the House earlier today narrowly approves a $1.9 billion capital security bill. Apparently there was some squad drama. I'm assuming this is just a hill writing a clickbaity headline. The House on Thursday passed a $1.9 billion spending bill to upgrade capital security in the wake of the January 6th mob attack. In a tight 213 to 212 vote with the, bureau, with the bill nearly going down because of opposition from liberal Democrats known as the squad. Legislation was approved with three Democrats, Cory Bush, Ilan Omar, and Ariana Presley voting no, and another three, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, and Jamal Bowman voting present. Two Republicans were absent while all Republicans voted no. Let's find out why the progressives voted with the Republicans. House Democratic leaders held open a procedural vote preceding final passage of the security spending bill due to some progressives expressing concerns about the funding for Capitol Police. Some liberals were questioning if a double standard was at play between uh, police handling of Black Lives Matter protests and when the pro-Trump mob, some of whom carried Confederate flags, stormed the Capitol. There absolutely was. We cannot support this increased funding while many of our communities continue to face police brutality while marching in the streets and while questions about the desperate response, disparate response between uh, insurrectionists and those protesting in defense of black lives go unanswered, Bush, Omar, and Presley said in a joint statement. So, bravo to them. I am for it. Now, Representative Steny Hoyer, who I am no fan of. Fuck Steny Hoyer. He was on, uh, oh shit, he was on MSNBC talking about the January 6th commission. Democrat in the House of Representatives, Maryland Congressman Steny Hoyer. Uh, Congressman, it's always great to see you. Thank you so much uh, for taking No, time. no, it, uh, it, it, is never, it is never um, great I to see Steny Hoyer. I want to start with uh, this commission, uh, and, and I want to get to as well. There's been some Even Steny Hoyer in a second, thinks it's never great to see Steny Hoyer. Look at him. Do you think he likes looking in the mirror at that? Democrats have a lot of options on the table if this doesn't ultimately come through. What is your best next option if there is no bipartisan commission? First, let me say our first and best option was a bipartisan commission, which mirrored the 9-11 commission. Uh, and that's what we offered on the floor. I got 35 Republicans in the House. There's not a chance they're going to get the 10 needed fact, in the Senate. Uh, as Mr. Katko pointed out, exact replica of what we did in 9-11 had overwhelming support in the Congress. Uh, sadly, that didn't happen. But yes, we have other options. Uh, obviously, we have committees. Uh, committees have subpoena power. We have committees of jurisdiction. The Homeland Security Committee clearly has jurisdiction. The Government Oversight and Reform Committee has jurisdiction, the Appropriations Committee. So there are a lot of different avenues. 
we could establish uh, a select committee in the House, uh, similar to uh, the Republicans that uh, formed, had eight different investigations at Benghazi. Benghazi. Uh, four people tragically lost their lives, uh, but they had eight different uh, studies of that or yeah. hearings or oversight. Uh, all eight of which fairly political, trying to attack no who they thought there. was going to be, who uh, so they assumed was going to be, and uh, rightfully so, the presidential nominee. Uh, dissuaded from finding the truth uh, simply because, for whatever reasons, Donald Trump has told uh, McConnell and McCarthy that he doesn't want this commission, and therefore they came out against it. So let me dig into that select committee uh, situation for a second, because Democrats at the time, including you, criticized uh, the select committee on, on Benghazi, although you did ultimately decide to participate in it. Uh, but you yourself said in 2016 that the report that they issued showed definitively this has been a blatantly partisan exercise. Well, yeah, for for yeah, yeah, exactly. Is it not obvious the reason? On this partisan investigation. Could you impanel a select committee and avoid this? We're, we're talking like multiple investigations now into Benghazi. Be, uh, in charge of, that point. of setting the agenda. It's much different than hey, a, a 9-11 style commission. Well, that's why I said, Casey, that is our preference. That's what we offered. That's what we've sent to the Senate. And hopefully the Senate will adopt that. That's the proper way to move forward. Uh, but uh, because the Republicans want to stonewall uh, finding out the truth about uh, what happened on January 6th, why it happened, who not only who participated. I wonder uh, why. McCarthy's right. Law enforcement is looking at that. But uh, the underlying reasons, the underlying uh, actions of the president of the United States, the underlying actions of, of members of Congress, for that matter. Uh, there you go. There you go. That's exactly what I want to know. I want to know what the executive branch did to influence the response and the lead up to it. Remember, Trump sacked a bunch of people at DOD and the Justice Department. There's not a doubt in my mind that this was always the fucking plan. And that there were members of Congress in on it. That ought to be done in a bipartisan fashion. That's what the commission does. It's equal numbers. Uh, both sides uh, would, would choose the staffs in consultation with one another. So uh, I think John Thune, uh, the, the Republican senator, uh, had it right. He's, they want to put this behind them. They don't want to talk about it. They want to look to the issues, as he's pointed out. It hurts the them. Election. In other words, this is about politics for them. Uh, for us, and I think I say this. Well, I mean, I think, make no mistake no, about it. They want to move on because it hurts them. Trump is an albatross around their neck, and that's. I'm amazed that there wasn't enough fucking Republicans to vote to impeach him in order to keep him from not from from running in 2024. Because like, he's going to cost them again. Like, he is the best gift the Democrats could ever have. His one fucking win was a fluke. Don't don't get me wrong. He has an influence on the party. He definitely drives turnout, but he drives turnout by far against him. That was the closest thing he could get to a coup because the military was not interested. But hey... That that brings me to another point in a story that I've not I've not brought up yet. 
There was a report that came out that Trump tried to withdraw all of our troops, not just from Afghanistan, all of our troops. And he was overruled by our generals. So, like, there are... And that's what I'm wondering. First of all, did he try to withdraw all the troops because he wanted the troops here for this, for January 6th? Because he thought they were going to go with him. That's my fucking first thought. Now, on the one hand, you have to say, oh, that's fucking wild that the generals could buck a commander-in-chief like that. On the other hand, he had just lost an election. I'm I'm kind of okay with the fact that a president that just lost an election can't come in and completely upend our foreign policy. It's a transitional period to a new president. I don't know what legal authority that would fall under. But now, like, I saw Kyle Kulinski talk about that, and he was like, Trump was wanting to do the right thing. Now, yes, I want all of our troops out of other countries. No reason for them to be there. But why would Trump want to pull all the... Because, like, you got to think, like, Trump's not doing it for any kind of fucking altruistic reason. He's doing it to benefit him in some way. He either thinks it creates chaos for the American government, or he was wanting them here in order to storm the fucking capital. And that's goddamn scary to me. He should have been he should have been removed. He should have he should have never been allowed anywhere near the presidency. Supposedly, the electoral college was supposed to prevent somebody exactly like him. All the other fell safes didn't work. Thank you, honestly and sincerely. This is about our democracy. This is about an insurrection that was uh, instigated uh, and undertaken to stop uh, the counting of votes for president of the United States in America. Uh, It it was a profound event. And we need a commission composed of equal numbers, uh, as we've done, as McCarthy asked for, with equal... Number two. Yes, yes, because like the Trump administration actually exposed how much power a president has. It scared the fucking shit out of me. And that should be something that conservatives and I can agree on that we need to limit the power of the presidency and bring it back to Congress. You would think, based, based on their rhetoric, you would think that would be their position. However,. They only take positions that benefit their power and whatever upholds their hierarchy. Republicans do not believe in democracy. They also do not understand critical race theory. So this is a developing story that is taking a lot of turns. We're going to try to keep up with the latest. This was published two hours ago in the AP. Investigative journalist Nicole Hannah Jones's tenure application at the University of North Carolina was halted because she didn't come from a traditional academic type background and a trustee who vets the lifetime appointments wanted more time to consider her qualifications 
That's what the university leaders said today. Trustee who leads the subcommittee that considers tenure applications, Charles Duckett, chose in January to postpone the review of Hannah Jones' submission, according to Richard Stevens, the chairman of the Board of Trustees for the Chapel Hill campus. Was never brought before the full board for approval, and instead, the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist accepted a five-year appointment to the Faculty of Journalism School. So this is a statement. Uh, We're talking about a lifetime position here, so they're not uh, entered too lightly, Stevens told reporters. And it's not unusual for a member of the board, or in particular the chair of the committee, to have questions for clarification about background, particularly candidates that don't come from a traditional academic-type background. In this case, Claire Duckett, Claire Duckett, I'm sorry, not Claire, asked for a little bit of time to be able to do that. Faculty members at the university's Husman School of Journalism already slammed that reasoning in an open letter on Wednesday, noting that the last two professors who held Hannah Jones's chaired position were giving tenure when appointed. They said the journalism school's strength lies in its roster of longtime professionals who worked in the industry. The foundation that endows Hannah Jones's position, the Knight Chair in Race and Investigative Journalism, also urged the school to reconsider its decision. So now, the reason why uh, this particular professor is controversial is because Hannah Jones won the Pulitzer Prize for her work on the 1619 Project for the New York Times. The university announced in April that Hannah Jones will be joining the faculty in July. Some conservatives have complained about the project, which focuses on the country's history of slavery. Knight Foundation President Alberto I'm Abarguin? I'm sorry, dude, if I butchered your name, issued a statement noting that while the foundation respects the independence of the universities where it endows chairs, he hopes UNC will reconsider its decision to offer Hannah Jones a contract position instead of tenure. Hannah Jones didn't respond to an email asking for comment, but on Thursday she tweeted, I have been overwhelmed by all the support you all have shown me. It has truly fortified my spirit and my resolve. You all know that I will be okay, but this fight is bigger than me, and I will try my best not to let you down. The 1619 Project is an initiative of the New York Times Magazine that began in August 2019, the 400th anniversary of the beginning of American slavery. The magazine describes the project as being designed to reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of our national narrative, which makes fucking sense. The project was converted into a popular podcast. Materials were developed for schools uh, to use, and the Pulitzer Center partnered with the Times to develop uh, the 1619 Project lesson plans. However, objections to the 1619 Project have morphed into legislative efforts to prevent its presentation in public schools. The backlash 
continues today because it's, it's one of the new boogeymen, just like socialism. They can say critical race theory. It sounds scary to conservatives. 20 state attorneys general told the education department that they oppose teaching critical race theory in classrooms according to a letter they penned yesterday. The attorneys general, led by Indiana Attorney General Good Rokita, sent a letter to Education Secretary Miguel Cardona asking him to reconsider a proposal that would prioritize the 1619 Project and critical race theory for federal grant programs. The letter states that the proposed priorities are a thinly veiled attempt at bringing into our state's classrooms the deeply flawed and controversial teachings of critical race theory and the 1619 Project. Uh, sir, that is a claim. That is, I'm sorry, sir. It was a letter penned by, I'm sure, Mel and them. They, we're going to get into pronouns. We get into the Demi Lovato story. They, they made a claim and didn't issue supporting evidence. How is it deeply flawed? What is the controversy other than right-wingers say it's a controversy? Please tell me. It's the same thing I do whenever a right-winger brings up Marxism. Please tell me what Marxism is and why it's so scary to you. Please, supporting evidence. There you go. Tones, I didn't even think about that. That's a great uh, analogy. Creation theory is deeply flawed and controversial, and they are pushing to have it taught in schools. Jesus. The document continued that one one proposed priority was to incorporate racially, ethnically, culturally, and linguistically diverse perspectives into teaching and learning. Yes! 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 You have a problem with that? The project was the subject of intense controversy and backlash from conservative lawmakers and leaders because of course it was! Now this next piece we're getting ready to read is an opinion piece. It was an editorial written... Uh, Inside the Chicago Tribune uh, by Clarence Page. Let's find out who Clarence is. I'm assuming he has something to do with this history museum. Uh, He's just a columnist. But who am I to put him down? I'm I'm just a fucking streamer. Clarence Page's column, Who's Afraid? Who's Afraid? Who's Afraid of Critical Race Theory? Those Who Don't Know What It Is. As a practical matter, I'd rather see, for example, more violence de-escalation. What the fuck? <laughs> Okay, here we go, here we go. Critical race theory, or CRT, has become a trigger term for politicians, activists, and media voices, particularly on the right wing, where it's 
competing with cancel culture on the hit parade of things that we were all supposed to be angry about or afraid of or both. But the political allure of the term is understandable considering how often it has been appearing in the fevered narratives of conservative media. Exactly. CRT has emerged gradually since the 1970s as an academic movement of civil rights scholars and activists to challenge mainstream liberal approaches to racial justice. Among other pioneers of the CRT movement, legal scholar Kimberly Crenshaw has called it an evolving practice that questions how race as a social construct perpetuates a caste system that relegates people of color to the bottom tiers. The argument has some merit, but optimist that I am, I also agree with critics who say that CRT too often elevates storytelling over evidence and reason and devalues the racial progress. I don't even... I've never seen any of these fucking textbooks, so I don't... I I can't make that assessment. Maybe you have, Clarence Page. The conservative critique was captured well by Kathy Valentine, Valentine, director of operations for the Illinois Family Institute, who wrote in a letter to the Naperville Sun after some state lawmakers proposed including a CRT in the New York Times 1619 project into the state's teacher training and public school classrooms. This was the quote, critical race theory implies that all people who are born with white skin are racist. No, it doesn't. And all whites have power because of their skin color. No, it doesn't. And have used that power to hold black people, uh, hold back black people of color. No, it doesn't. We just, we just, re- how race is used to perpetuate a caste system. Not that whites specifically are racist, though, if the shoe fits. This is patently false, even though, you know, in in my mom's lifetime is when they desegregated schools. Tax dollars should not be used to foster lies, division, and hatred. He also decried a, as numerous political conservatives do, the New York Times 1619 Project. So it even goes on to claim the board's ignorance about Native Americans. We certainly have a blind spot about teaching country. Now, some of you, if you are comic book fans or maybe you're fans of the HBO series or the movie, apparently the creator of the comic books is not a fan of the, the show The Watchmen or the movie The Watchmen. You're probably familiar with the Tulsa Race Massacre. We are coming up on the 100th anniversary in the city of Tulsa. Put together a commission. We're going to hear, we're actually going to hear a first-hand account from a survivor here in just a second. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt on Friday was ousted from the commission created to observe the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre after he signed a bill banning the teaching of critical race theory in schools in the state. 
1921 Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial Commissioners met Tuesday and agreed. Through cons- this would have been last Tuesday. Through consensus to part ways with Governor Stitt. The commission said in a statement issued this past Friday. Commission added that while it is disheartened to part ways, Smokey, I can't see you're in front of the monitor. Uh, it is disheartened to part ways with Governor Stitt. We are thankful for the things accomplished together, according to the statement. Earlier this week, Commission Project Manager Phil Armstrong sharply criticized Stitt for signing the bill that prohibits the teaching of critical race theory, which holds that racism is emboldened or embedded within U.S. history and laws. It is. He argued the move. We're talking about a whole community was destroyed just a hundred years ago. You can't tell me. You're on the commission, sir. You can't tell me you can't, you don't understand its fucking impact. Stitt was only made aware of his removal from the commission when the announcement was made on Friday. His spokeswoman, Carly Atchison, told the AP. He also noted that the governor's role in the commission was purely ceremonial, and he had not been invited to attend a meeting until this week. So I, he's like, I don't give a shit. Fuck. Armstrong said that Stitt did not attend a Monday meeting to discuss critical race theory legislation, which he said left the commission gravely disappointed, according to a letter addressed to the governor and dated Tuesday. Stitt signed the the legislation banning critical race theory last Friday, saying, now more than ever, we need policies that bring us together, not rip us apart. Wow. As I mentioned, uh, the city of Tulsa is making a big deal, as it should be. Buried. 100 years later, the victims will be remembered. The Tulsa Race Massacre. A dark secret. Buried. 100 years later, the victims will be... Even even in their promo for it, a dark secret buried. Yeah, because fucking the governor of the state doesn't want to teach about this shit. Because it paints him in a bad light. Be remembered in a new way. They just mean Wouldn't capitulate the to the right. Yep. To those people who lost loved ones there. To the ones who were murdered. To stand on that ground and say, we remember. This video just, See how just the shocking. The City National Memorial and Museum is helping. They were here in our darkest hour, and and we we need to be there for them. Wednesday night at 10 on Oklahoma's own News 9. Here, we're going to hear from an eyewitness who was there during the Tulsa Race Massacre. Viola Fletcher, the oldest living survivor of the Tulsa Race Massacre, tells a congressional hearing that she's lived through the massacre every day. A woman that was there is still alive. And the TV station in the city where it happened 
just said it was forgotten. Fucking, are you telling me that there are rednecks that are raving the, the Confederate flag around? Talking about, like, knowing history. Do you think they know about Wilmington? Do you think they know about Tulsa? The night of the massacre, I was awakened by so this my is family. Viola Fletcher. My parents and five siblings were there. I will never forget the violence of the white mob when we left our home. I still see black men seeing being shot, black bodies lying in the street. I still smell smoke and see fire. I still see black businesses being burned. I still hear airplanes flying overhead. I hear the screams. I have lived through the massacre every day. Our country may forget this history, but I cannot. I am 107 year old and have never been seen justice. I pray that one day I will. No one cared about us for almost 100 years. We and our history have been forgotten, washed away. This Congress must recognize us. And that's, that's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about teaching critical race theory. Teaching her story. But apparently the right-wing critique is like it's too focused on stories and emotions. Well, I'm sorry I get emotional at that. And the ramifications of that bullshit persist to this day. Now we're going to hear from a homeowner who shows how systematic racism still exists. When I got that first appraisal back, I was upset. Um, And then there were just, there was some language in the appraisal that just didn't sit right with me. Second one, um, it came back even worse. It came back at 110,000. And this is just a few months after the first appraisal. And I'm just like, okay, so even if the 125 were correct, how did I lose $15,000 in a few months? Everything that I thought would expose the ethnicity of the person living in the home, I got rid of it and replaced it with something that I felt was ethnically white. The thing that was devaluing my home was me. And it's like, how do you even begin to process that? Oh, but we can't teach critical race theory in schools. This is going to make fucking old conservative assholes uncomfortable. Because they might have to hear about how their policy has disproportionately affected a whole segment of our society. And you might have to. They tell me all the time that they are the party of personal responsibility. They never fucking take responsibility for anything. Take responsibility for the history of this country. All right, now on to masks and vaccines. There's a segment of society that is and Amy, those people according facing anxiety over the unmasking. We'll see why here in a second. I've got a crazy video of a woman spitting on an employee 
This piece coming to us from Nashville News 5. According to the CDC, are safe to take their masks off in most settings. But that doesn't mean everyone's ready to. News Channel 5's Aaron Cantrell joins us with guidance on navigating a mask-free world. And uh, Aaron, there's some mask confusion out there. Yeah, Amy and Ben. So it can be, you know, a little uncomfortable to ditch these masks because we've been wearing them for so long. But some people have been experiencing a little anxiety. You know, maybe their heart starts to race when they go out without their mask or maybe they start sweating a lot if you know you're vaccinated and you're not wearing it but that's totally normal to experience a little anxiety or even some excitement according to experts now a psychologist says she encourages people experiencing anxiety to question what they are thinking and the most harmful thing you can do for your mental health is withdrawal when you are like asking yourself am i going to get sick if i take my mask off um well what is the evidence for that, right? Can you question that belief a little bit? What does the research say, right? And and really try to bring your thoughts and your behavior in line with what the science says. Pretty much you're cool if you're outside. And health experts say it's all about the baby steps. So if you are vaccinated and you still just feel more comfortable wearing your mask, that's okay. Reporting live in South Nashville, Aaron Kentrell, News Channel 5. Now, I think personally that the government has lifted, I know what the science says, I think the government has lifted the mandates, mainly because, uh, have lifted them too early, mainly because I don't like the onus being on businesses. So if a business still wants to require people to wear masks, which is perfectly reasonable, as they should, the onus is then on the business to have to enforce that as opposed to to being a... as opposed to being a governmental policy that everybody has to follow. And then you end up with assholes like this. Asked customer is seen spitting at Umai Savory Hot Dogs employees. This happened Tuesday afternoon at the San Jose location. After workers say they asked the woman to put on a mask. You just have to be blatantly disrespectful just to spit at someone for asking you to yeah. follow simple rules. If it weren't for the plexiglass, Christine Nguyen and her co-workers would have been on the receiving end. They say of a loogie. just placed an order and paid before the confrontation, adding the customer argued she had a right to remain unmasked. This isn't the first time she's done it. She did it to two other co-workers not so long ago, and she's done it to our next-door neighbors. Owner Dat Chu confirms the woman has shown up without a mask at least twice before. Her previous visit, Chu says he compromised and allowed the customer to order and wait outside. But after this display, he called police, admittedly reluctant to file a report. I don't condone these type of... Uh, a, another entitled Karen. I don't really understand everybody's circumstances, and you know, I don't want to make things worse for people. Than, 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 you know, what they already are. The woman took off before police got there, but not before... It does kind of look like a nursing outfit, or uh, it could also be like jogging pants know, or honestly, something. Like, uh, if you can't comply with the rules, you just can't come in. It's as simple as that. SJPD currently has no business being a nurse, that's for sure. Tuesday, the owner has since filed a report with the department. They say the woman has not yet been identified, but PD says that behavior can result in misdemeanor assault charges. She, she seemed pretty recognizable. Del Castillo, ABC 7 News. But that was my reasoning for not wanting to lift the mask mandate just yet. Now, by the way, there are some establishments that will ask you if you are vaccinated. This has been a point of contention. We're going to fact check that right now. Businesses can legally ask if patrons have been vaccinated. HIPAA does not apply. 
A, as mask wearing and social distancing guidelines relax for fully vaccinated people, businesses are navigating how to implement new policies in their stores. Vaccine opponents, including Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, are using the occasion to resurrect the false claim that the HIPAA federal privacy laws protects individuals from being asked about their vaccination status. Not true at all. Just fucking think about it. You have to be vaccinated, travel out of the country, fucking attend school. May 18th, several GOP members refused to wear masks on the House floor in defiance of House rules, including Green. Green told reporters that asking about her vaccine status was a HIPAA violation. You know she's not been vaccinated. Green is not the only one spreading this claim, which has spread wildly, widely, on social media in recent days. The rule is simple. HIPAA protects every American from disclosing any of their health records to anyone. It claims an image posted on Instagram. Uh, HIPAA is a law that prevents healthcare professionals. It prevents your doctor or nurses from sharing private health information without the patient's permission. But experts agree the interpretation of HIPAA cited by Green and others online is inaccurate. The law has no bearing on who can ask or answer questions about health outside of a health care setting. Oh, was Green fine for not wearing the mask? I, several of them have been fine for uh, bypassing the metal detector. I mean, party of law and order, guys. Now, Fauci gave an interview with uh, Washington Post. It's Dr. great Fauci. to have you. So I want to start by uh, acknowledging the, the progress that the country has made in the pandemic. Cases are among the lowest they've been since the start of the pandemic. Vaccinations are rising. Um, but is there a concern about a resurgence in the latter part of the year um, as the weather gets colder? And, and how much of this hinges upon what our understanding is of how... I got a couple of hotties on the screen right now. That's a threesome I'd have. Well, I don't think we should be that concerned right now about how long they're effective. I think they will be effective long enough that we will get to the point where we are not going to be necessarily worrying about a surge. Let me explain what I mean the positive wild card in all of this that we wild did guard. previous three surges that our country has experienced, the most profound of which was one at the late fall and early winter of the 2020-2021, where we had cases the as dark high as winter. 300,000 per day and deaths up to three to almost 4,000 per day. That was at a point when virtually no one in the country was vaccinated. If we get to the president's goal, which I believe we will attain, of getting 70% of the people getting at least one dose, adults that is, by July 4th, they will oh, be- just one. I fucking already did my part. ...that I really don't foresee that there being the risk- I have, I have number two here in a couple of weeks. We continue to get people Less vaccinated than two weeks. at the rate we have now. Of course, there are several things that are uncertain when you're dealing with a pandemic. One thing that is- quite certain is that when you have a vaccine or a group of vaccines that are as highly effective in the real world, and those data are very clear, 
highly effective as these vaccines are, and you get a substantial proportion of the population vaccinated, the chances of there being a surge are extraordinarily low. I mean, quite, quite low. You don't want to declare victory prematurely. And it's for that reason why we're continuing to put the push on of getting as many people vaccinated as we possibly can. We're in a race. Seventy percent of Americans by July fourth. Is it doable? I don't know that we could ever get seventy percent of Americans to do anything. We've got a whole cohort of dumb fucks and morons. U.S. jobless claims declined to 444,000, a new pandemic low. But I thought it was an emergency that we needed to end unemployment immediately. That could be causal that people are like, oh shit, unemployment's ending. But I mean, we're talking about new claims here. We're talking about actual jobless claims. Number of Americans seeking unemployment aid fell last week. 444,000, a new pandemic low, and a sign that the job market keeps strengthening. Thursday's report from the Labor Department showed that applications declined 34,000 from a revised 478,000 a week earlier. The number of weekly jobless claims, a rough measure of the pace of layoffs, has declined steadily since the year began. The data release coincides with rapid moves by nearly all the nation's Republican governors to cut off a $300 a week federal unemployment benefit. Now, I've looked into this to try to find out the answer. If you live in a Republican state, and if you are a contractor that is just on the pandemic unemployment assistance, I think you get to keep drawing it. And there, there has been talk from Bernie Sanders specifically to make sure that there's a way that all contract gig workers, freelancers, are still able to draw the full benefits until September. Because, of course, Bernie is on our side. But do not hold me to... I like... It's very confusing, the wording of whether if you are just on the federal unemployment, you're just drawing the $300. It seems like you get to keep it. However, you're going through the state system in order to draw that money. So it is also likely that governors have control over it. 22 states from Texas and Georgia to Ohio and Iowa have acted to block the federal government's $300 weekly payment for the unemployed, according to an Associated Press analysis. Two more states, Florida and Kansas, are considering doing so. Those 24 states all have Republican governors and legislatures. Unemployed Americans have been able to receive the federal benefit, which was included in President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion financial rescue package on top of their state jobless aid. So that's the thing. That's on top of the state aid. 
contractors are only drawing that $300. Combined, the cutoff of federal jobless aid in the states that are targeting it would reduce unemployment benefits for 3.5 million people, according to Oxford Economics. About 16 million people were receiving unemployment benefits during the week ending May 1st. That is down from 16.9 million in the previous week. It suggests that some Americans who had been receiving aid have found jobs. Eliminating the $300 a week unemployment benefit is among measures the states have taken to restrict or eliminate jobless aid and press more recipients to seek work. That trend gained momentum after the April jobs report released earlier this month. It showed that employers added far fewer jobs than expected. Now, this was after March, which was higher than expected. In part because many, quote-unquote, couldn't find enough workers. Hold on, I think I, I think I have a... Maybe not, maybe not. I thought I had an infographic. 21 states say they will also cut off all benefits for the self-employed and gig workers. Okay, okay, there. here's here's that question. Who became newly eligible for jobless aid under a relief package that was enacted in March last year. In addition, 35 states have reinstated a requirement that jobless aid recipients search for work in order to keep receiving benefits. That requirement had been suspended at the start of the pandemic when many businesses were closed and Americans were encouraged to stay at home. As the economy quickly recovers from the pandemic recession, consumers are showing more confidence in spending at a healthy rate. Data from last year showed that the unemployment benefits were a boon to the economy and kept it going. Yet the rapid reopening from the pandemic has created a wide range of supply shortages that is uh, that have disrupted what economists had hoped would be a smooth rebound. Home building fell sharply in April, for example, as builders struggled with shortages of lumber and labor. The shortages have caused a spike in inflation, which led stock markets to tumble this week because investors worry that higher prices will force the Federal Reserve to prematurely cut back on its efforts to stimulate growth. Oh, are they worried that your interest rates are going to get cut? Ooh. They've been borrowing it next to nothing since, like, fucking Obama came into office. We have a completely fiat economy. Fed officials have stressed their belief that the accelerating price increases are temporary. Yeah, but the minutes of their April policy meeting released Wednesday showed that some Fed officials support a discussion at future meetings about dialing back their efforts. So they brought up labor shortages. This coming to us from Vice. Fantastic headline. This magical trick solved an ice cream shop's labor shortage. A magical trick. Oh my God. You would think 
every right winger in all the comment sections, all these business owners that are complaining about not being able to find workers would want to read this Vice article now, wouldn't you? A magical trick. Holy shit. The great labor shortage of 2021 came for Clavin's ice cream in Pittsburgh, but rather than asking the U.S. government to end COVID benefits helping those put out of work, it used a novel idea to solve the crisis. It offered to pay its workers $15 an hour. <laughs> wow! As I've pointed out many times, the living wage in every single state in this country is at least Thirteen fifty. It costs thirteen dollars and fifteen cents to live in the cheapest states. So anyone paying less than thirteen fifty is asking you to go into debt to work for them. It's just economics, and people people said no. Go owner. Jacob Hancher told the Pittsburgh Tribune the store was struggling to find even one person to hire for a business that usually has at least 11 workers by the summer rush. So the parlor announced it would raise its minimum wage to $15 per hour plus tips. He'd never seen anything like it. It's an industry-wide thing by now. We should have five or six people hired. We don't have one. We usually have 11 to 15 people. The result, they received well over a thousand applications in a week and staffed 16 positions practically overnight, they told MSNBC. Whenever I talk about raising minimum wage, I hear, yeah, but your, your local ice cream shop, they can't pay people more than seven bucks an hour. You can, you did, and it's working. Yes, well, well first of all, I want to say thank you for supporting small businesses and having small businesses on your show. I, I would say that there's a comradic loop going on here. That's that more people than normal. And, 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 Denny's did a study on this. Denny's did a study that raising wages produced more business for them because they got better employees that produced a better customer experience. Holy shit! Who would have ever funk it? That that seems completely fucking obvious, doesn't it? Yeah. Loyal to our employees, and we continue to have that loyalty, and that pays back in terms of return on investment and improving business. Yes, yes, yes. You raised your starting wage to 15 bucks an hour. What happened? Uh, We received well over 1,000 applications. Uh, We received, I think, 250 applications off of Facebook. We had 200 and some odd applications come in. And this is over the course of a week. So we stopped counting. People wanted to work for you. Amazing. Uh, We filled the the 16 positions practically overnight. We did on-the-spot interviews as soon as people were coming in. Has turnover changed since then? Oftentimes in low-wage jobs, there's tons and tons of turnover. Good question. And that's a huge expense to businesses. Retraining employees, finding new employees. 
Yes, uh, especially in the restaurant business, turnover is a big issue. And the other issue is burnout. A lot of people work two or three jobs and now they're just working one job. So people are showing up on time now. They're reporting to work in a better mood. Uh, customer service has improved. Uh, things like that that you don't always account for. Mind-blowing. I swear, capitalism has rotted some people's brains. All right, fishing up tonight. We're going to talk about this asshole radio host in Boston. Now, I don't think we have the actual clip here. I don't like. I tried to kind of skim over the story to see if if we had the actual clip from the show. I don't really know what happened. So let's let's break it down. This is Deseret News. I've never fucking heard of this site. Oh, Church News. It's Church News. This is coming to us from a church website. A longtime radio host in Boston is poised to become a hero of the fight against cancel culture. Oh shit. Definitely not the framing I'm going to take on this story. It's like... Matt uh, Siegel, known as Matty in the Morning on Top 40 Stations, appeared to quit on the air Wednesday after he was told to tone down his commentary on Demi Lovato, a pop singer who had just announced that she is non-binary and would adopt the... God damn it! She made me do... I was just reading what she said. Fuck. They are non-binary. They are non... I'm so sorry. Fuck. Uh, I thought we had the... the... Lovato had like a little minute long thing that was on Facebook. I I thought it linked to it. So... He was told to tone down his commentary on Demi Lovato a pop singer that announced that they are non-binary and would adopt the use of the they pronoun instead of she and her. 24 hours later, Siegel was back on the air. The saga began shortly after Lovato said on Twitter, I'm doing this for those out there that haven't been able to share who they are. I was was wanting to find the statements to actually read Siegel, who has worked for the station since 1981 and has twice been named Personality of the Year by the National Association of Broadcasters, didn't take the announcement seriously. Later saying it's a joke, the whole binary thing. Yes, the whole binary thing is a joke. You're correct. Not the non-binary thing. The gender binary is a fucking joke. You enforcing your gender norms on people is a joke. But Siegel turned serious after his boss told him off-air to stop talking about Lovato. He then said on-air that he was being uh, asked to be a lightweight host who only talked about inconsequential things and that he wasn't willing to do that. Fuck the fuck! Demi Demi Lovato is about as inconsequential as you can get. She's a fucking pop singer. You are a top 40 jock. Your job is to talk about inconsequential things. Holy shit. He said he had previously been told that he couldn't talk negatively about former President Trump. 
If I'm left-wing and I go anti-Trump, I get in trouble. Today, I was a quote-unquote anti-worker. Anti-wokeness. So, here, we've got his monologue here. And they pulled the plug on me. They said, you cannot talk about what you're talking about. And again, I like my boss personally. I do. I'm very fond of him. He's been very nice to me. It's not personal. It's professional. He said he doesn't want me talking about this. So basically, if I talk about right-wing pop, like if I'm, if I'm left-wing and I go anti-Trump, I, I get in trouble. But today, I was anti-wokeness, and I can't do that. So I, basically what I'm told is I can talk about light, funny things and where the Jonas Brothers are going to be, but I can't do... Your, your job is to be a top 40 radio host. That's what top 40 music is. It's non-controversial, so they can play it in doctor's offices and shit. They edit the songs down. Your job is to be lighthearted and talk about shit that doesn't offend people. You're not goddamn Opie and Anthony. You're not Howard Stern. That's not what a commercial terrestrial radio station is in 2021. By far, believe me, I know. If you want to express yourself and have fucking hot takes on shit, quit and get a Twitch channel. I know this for a fact. This coming from the former news director of 11 radio stations. What I really want to do would you just be a funny comic and tell them like it is about what he's thinking. If you wanna, if you wanna be a comic, go to some fucking open mics, man. What the fuck? The job. It's the you're 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 bitching about like cancel culture and wokeness coming at you, but you're you're not fulfilling the job. You're some, yeah. He's no fucking Carlin. Oh, you're oh the gender binary is a joke. Blah blah blah. Fuck, like, oh, like what you said was so cutting edge. What a fucking drama queen. I was told by my boss I cannot talk about what I want to talk about. And by the way, it's a joke. The whole binary. I was told by my boss not to do the thing he doesn't want. That's capitalism, sir. What are. Oh my god. He's not a fucking comedian. His job, literally, is to say something kind of witty, usually not, in the fucking 30 seconds between a song. Plug a sponsor, say you've got some contest coming up, and get back to fucking music. Intro the next song, motherfucker. You're not... What? Everything. I don't care what Demi Lovato does. Yes, you do care. You have to worry about you might offend someone. So I basically offended right-wing people, and today I offended left-wing people. So basically what they want you to do is to be, you know, a lightweight show. We have that in the market. We have magic. We have nips. We have radio stations that don't offend anybody. 
This was the Maddie in the Morning Show, the number one radio show in the history of Boston radio, okay? Bigger than Jeff Kane and Dave Maynard and Charles Lockwood-era and all of the radio giants in Boston. Production decisions is a DJ. Yeah, he's full of himself. And they said... And he's, he's talking about like how fucking great he is. Like, fucking, do you know who is listening to terrestrial radio in 2021? My God. You're probably not full of, what, 10 fucking thousand people? I mean, it's Boston, maybe. Maybe he gets a million in the morning, but goddamn, no. Fucking everybody's listening to Pandora, Spotify, XM. They've got YouTube in their fucking cars. Nobody gives a shit about you, dude. Your job is to be inoffensive. Shut up, Matt. Stop talking. Well, I hope you're happy because I just stopped talking. Maddie out. Maddie out. So apparently he has been on the radio for over four decades. On Thursday's show, he said that he had snapped the previous day. He talked to his wife about it, and he talked to the company, and the company told me that they basically said, please don't quit. They said that I have total support from them and freedom to say what I want. So I kind of won that battle. He did quit. And then like, oh, he, he slept on it and decided not to. I guess he pulled a Larry David and he came into work the next day. He opened the show on Thursday by saying, I'm here. Good morning. I The way he ended this show sounded like a gigantic fucking crybaby that couldn't take criticism from his boss. Don't get me wrong, I've been there before. I work in a creative field, I get it. I've had a hard time taking criticism as well. Wow, I just, I cannot believe, he has to be, that's the most baby boomer thing I've fucking ever seen. Oh, God. Um, if you guys are watching on Twitch, I'm going to send you over to being really slow. Twitch is not working with me. I'm going to possibly Brought him back to save face, and they're gonna they're gonna exit him three four months. That a radio station did that to me once. After I had a DUI, they kept me on for like a month or two, and fired me for something else down the road. It was like they stood by me and supported me, like oh, through your through your struggles with substance abuse, and then fired me a couple months later because that's exactly what they do. Seriously, Twitch is being fucking. If you're watching on Twitch, I'm going to send you over to Kami Buddhist. Looks like he's reading some theory. I'm going to hop in with you. Go ahead, light one up, tip one back. It's all right to have a little fun before you hit the sack. I'm Justin Freakin. We will see you tomorrow night. Troll Patrol. Five.